0: Today, as we think about as, as uh, pastors preparing for weeks like this, like Christmas and Easter and Reformation, it's, it's always a challenge to say, well, what can we say something new, something fresh? And, and I think this, this time we, we've got something because I think that the gospel is a little bit bigger, if not a whole lot bigger and deeper and more rich than perhaps we usually understand it to be. I had a, an opportunity to talk with one of our third grade classrooms this past week. The teacher invited me in to say, just talk a little bit about the Reformation, what it is, what happened, uh, and, and what, why do we celebrate this day? And so I was able to go in, and, and I just wanted to see and hear what they understood. And, and it was very clear to me that they really understood the fact that, that God is, is perfect and holy, that, that we make mistakes, we sin, that God is upset with our sin, but He sent Jesus, to pay the price for our sin so that we could live with him forever. I was like that's that's really good. And I think if if most of us answered that question that way it'd be really good. But is there more to it than that? Is there more to the gospel? This message, this good news that we have to share is there more than salvation? I think maybe sometimes we have a very flat or muted understanding of the fullness of that gospel. Today, I want to share with you some of the richness that Paul provides in this text today to understand that, uh, that God's love is faithful, that God's love creates more love in us, and that God's love is purposeful. So we're going to start with that first one, that God's love is faithful. God's love is faithful. Paul uses this really interesting phrase in his text today, the righteousness of God. Now, for for weeks and months, we've been in this book, this letter to the church in Rome, and Paul has been very, very clear talking about our righteousness, that our righteousness doesn't come from what we do, from our obedience or disobedience, but rather our, our righteousness Comes from faith. In fact, he says, Your faith, and even that is, is not a work you do, that's something that's grown in you by the Holy Spirit. Your faith is counted as credited to you as righteousness. So what then is the righteousness of God? Well, again, maybe in our, our flat, muted understanding of the gospel, this righteousness of God could be understood as his holiness, his perfection, maybe his his moral perfection. But there's more to it than that. I want to propose to you today that a part of God's righteousness, in fact, even the source of his righteousness, comes from his faithfulness to keep his promises to you. And that out of that great faithfulness of God to keep his promise to you comes his moral perfection. Perfection. And here's the difference that that makes. Maybe you're saying, what in the world difference does that make? Here's the difference. Because if God is, at first, at His core, righteous because of His moral perfection, then the God that we turn out to have is this this angry God that we cannot live up to Him. That this God filled with anger is just overflowing with vengeance and wrath that He can't help but pour out onto us poor, miserable sinners. And then the last moment, Jesus needs to swoop in and be that covering over us to protect us from that angry, wrathful God. But if God is at His core, someone who is faithful to His promise, then at His core, He is filled with compassion, not anger. And out of His great compassion, wants nothing more than to lavish you, overwhelm you, flood you with His grace and to keep His promise to save, to keep His promise that He will be with you forever, to keep His promise that all who turn to Him will be forgiven and set free and saved. And if that is His core nature, then that's a very different picture of who God is. And that God in His compassion for you, and his great love that is faithful to keep his promises for you. Now we have a picture of this God who just loves you more than everything else in all of creation, which is very different from this angry God from whom we need saving, but a compassionate God who actually does the saving. Right listen to what Paul says in verse 25 this was to show God's righteousness again that word God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance hang on to that word forbearance he passed over the former sins this idea of forbearance is this long suffering nature of God to be patient to wait to not respond in anger, not respond in wrath, but to wait, to be patient, to be patient for his plan of salvation to unfold, to be patient for you to come back to him in repentance. God is patient so that you come back to him to receive his grace, to be refreshed, to be made new. And from this patience, we see expressed his core nature, his perfect and holy promise to keep his promises. He has a heart for you. God's love is faithful. And God's love creates love. See, his love for us is expressed in such a way that's so generous and so lavish that he pours it out on us in such a way that it changes who we are. It wakes our hearts up. That's why in our our mission statement we say that we we have hearts awakened, that he wakes us up. He wakes our faith up. He changes who and how we are. And now we love God because he first loves us, And now we see that love that He gives us not just as an example of how to love Him and love one another, but as a motivation. Because we've been so overfilled with His God's love, it just pours out of us. We don't even have to try to love Him and love others. It just happens naturally. But before that happens, we have to have this full understanding of what it is. You have to have that encounter with His love and what that looks like. Because sometimes we think, and, and a lot of our relationships in this world are set to be like this as, as conditional transactions. Like, like, I will love you as long as you love me back, or I'll love you as long as it, it kind of benefits me in somehow, or I'll love you as long as we can be friendly with each other. Right? But God's love is just, it's just one way. He just pours it out to you regardless of what you do with it. He continues to lavish it on you. So that this relationship that you have with God has nothing to do with you or your behaviors, your obedience or your disobedience. Because if you had something good to do with it, you could boast about that. You could talk about that. You could say, I, I can brag before God that I am so much better than I used to be. God is so much happier with me than I now. now that I've stopped doing some of the things that I knew I shouldn't have been doing. But Paul says this to people who are boastful like that. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that, here's what he says, every mouth may be stopped. Now in English, that's kind of boring, but if you go into the Greek, this word in, in Greek means literally put a cork in it. Stop talking. Close your mouth. You have nothing to boast of in front of God. God's taking care of all of it. It's all His work. Your works claiming righteousness by your own deeds is just meaningless. It's a waste of time and energy. It has no power. Put a cork in it. And Paul teaches that we are all sinful and we are all justified without distinction. Paul says this, "For there is no distinction in verse 23, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." See, we are all all justified, without distinction. Remember, John 3:16 says that God so loved the world that He gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The world, the gift is for the world, people, without distinction. That means even our enemies are given this exact same gift too. Now this gift can only be received by faith. And even that is a work of the Holy Spirit, not anything that we are responsible for. But by faith we receive that gift. That gift is open to us. And it's difficult, maybe, to consider the fact that God's grace has been given to all without distinction, right? Because we give grace. We give grace all the time to one another. In fact, sometimes it's pretty easy to give grace to those that you love, those who maybe who are a part of your family, those who are, who are close personal friends. It's easy to give grace to those people. You understand that they would not be doing something intentionally to harm you. That's easy, But what about the person who's intentionally trying to harm you? What about that person who wounds you so deeply it changes who you are? What about that? Well, then it's a whole lot easier to start sharing grace with distinction. But God doesn't. God does not show distinction when he lavishes his grace, his love out into the world. We see this as Jesus teaches that parable of the prodigal son, although the prodigal son is probably not the one who's the most prodigal in that story because prodigal means lavish, it means generous, it means giving away to almost a wasteful amount. And when you know that, then it's easy to think, well, it's not really the son who was wasteful and lavish, it was the father. Because the father, when his son first came to him, Saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. The father lavished it on him prodigally, without discernment, knowing in advance that his son would waste it. And then when his son comes back with his tail between his legs to repent, the father again lavishes grace on him. Let's throw the best party we could possibly throw. Give me the ring. Give me the robes. Give me the sandals. My son is lost and now is found. Let us throw the biggest party possible. Let's lavish this whole community because my son is back. And Jesus teaches that parable because he wants us to know that that's how the Father is. His love lavished on us, wastefully so, knowing that as soon as I spoke those words of absolution in Jesus' place just moments ago, knowing that some of you are already sinning in your minds, in your thoughts, if not already in your actions. And yet God continues to pour out that grace and pour out that grace without distinction. You see, God's love is for the world without distinction. God's love was for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders who would try to trap Jesus and be responsible for his death. God's love is for The woman at the well who had husband after husband after husband after husband and now lives with somebody who's not her husband, who's given up on this whole love thing entirely and is living with somebody just because she needs to survive. God's love is for lepers who are outcasts from society and are on the outside looking in. God's love is for for people who are living in this world right now trying to build up their own kingdoms God's love is for people who profess God with their mouths but don't live out like they're a member of God's family God's love is for people who are overwhelmed and burdened by their sin and their sorrow God's love is for people who are overrun God's love is for you God's love is for me And when you bask in that love and you receive it, you're you're changed. You, You grow in your great appreciation for who God is and what God has done and that core nature of God to be faithful to His promise to lavish that love on you while you are still sinners. And it changes you and it grows in you this love back to God. And it tears down walls of of hurt between one another, and it makes it easier for us to forgive those who have even wounded us to the core of our souls. Now, public service announcement, interruption. For those who are in an abusive relationship where there is somebody who is actively, continually hurting you, you can still pour out and lavish them with grace and remove yourself from their presence. So that abuse no longer happens. Hear me clearly on that. What I am not saying is let the motivation that you receive from God's love just stand there and take it. Remove yourself and forgive and encounter incredible healing as you do. See, the love of God allows you to do what we would not be able to do without it. The love of God creates more and more love. So the love of God is faithful. The love of God creates love. And the love of God is on purpose, is purposeful. God's love is purposeful. Now, God's love is purposeful means two things. Number one, that it means that God's love causes us to live life on purpose, like intentional. And God's love is also For us to live for a purpose, a mission. The intentional aspect of our love has to do with what we do, what we think about, what we set our minds to, what we involve our hands with, how we roll up our sleeves and get busy as the church in this place and in this time. And the way that we really encourage you as, as disciples here at St. Luke's to do that is to be involved in what you are doing right now in coming together for worship, to gather together to worship and praise God, to hear His voice, to hear and receive His gifts of grace so real that you can taste it and be overwhelmed by His goodness and result in joyous praise and prayer and thanksgiving. But it's also to engage with one another as we develop this spiritual formation in our lives, that we grow in our faith, that we grow in real and transparent relationships with one another, that we can be real with each other, with our real problems, together in the place of our real God who has real solutions. But it doesn't stop there. It floods out from this building out into our community, out into Seminole County, out into Central Florida, out into the United States, out into the world. As we live this life in our everyday lives, we connect with our community. When you do those three things intentionally, wake up intentionally with the thought of, God, how am I going to worship you today? How will you go about building up my faith today? How would you have me interact in the community today? When you intentionally approach your day with that, God is at work crafting you, molding you, shaping you into the disciple, into the man and woman of God he has created you to be. That is living life on purpose. God's love allows you to live life on purpose. And God's love allows you to live life for a purpose. The purpose that we have here at St. Luke's in this place, in this time, the way that God has revealed to us, the way that we are to carry out the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations is by awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. That is our mission. That's not my mission. That is our mission that we are to do today. God's love is purposeful. God's love is faithful. And God's love creates more love. I'd like to share with you the Weekly Awakening thought, this question I want you to wrestle with uh, maybe at lunch, around your, your, your table, or maybe just around friends this, past, uh, this next week as you go to school, go to work, uh, this is a conversation starter. How will you use God's faithfulness at the cross to reflect His love? How will you use God's faithfulness at the cross to reveal His love?